Hi, everybody, and welcome to A Gem of a Secret podcast. As the times have changed, we think it's really important to remind everybody about accessibility. And to do that, we want to re-release the episode where we interviewed Anne J. Tifa, the queen of letting us know when we could be a little bit better. Hi, everyone, and welcome to A Gem of a Secret Podcast. My name is Donatella, my secrets. And my name is Coco Gem Holiday. How you doing tonight, Coco? I'm feeling real activisty. Are you? Bit. Well, not really. I feel like, I feel like um, it snowed today. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm feeling cold. There yeah. We go. I'm feeling cold. Yeah, today. I don't really have, like, the snow is not, like, my first response is not to go out and march in the streets from it. <laughs> I I kind of just want to stay in my room. How dare you? Up. Uh, I, I moved away from Colorado to get away from this. She's like, I didn't want to be out there. Portland, today. why no, are you man. coming for me so? I really did not want the snow today. She's trying to remind me of home. How dare you? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's actually, it's actually not too bad because it didn't really stick on the ground a whole lot. And it's not anything compared to, like, the snow that you see in Colorado. Right. So. Well, and Grand Junction, Colorado did get its fair share of snow, but it was like weird. You'd have all three seasons in a day. Yeah. Yeah. Also, like it was it was just very like inconsistent with it, their winters. Sometimes yeah. you would have a winter where it like the snow melted off the ground before noon all winter it's long. So weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's because we were in a desert. We were we we're in a dry desert. dry, prickly desert. Prickly. kind of like your vagina oh my god my vagina oh by the way that reminds me donna what are you wearing this evening i'm actually just dressed as the bird that was on lady gaga's dress during the inauguration oh i kind of see it yeah the gold the gold yeah yeah it makes more sense i was kind of confused i felt like it was a missed opportunity during our inauguration episode so here about five episodes later i'm dressed as her bird Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So two what about you? From, um, <laughs> explain your ensemble. Um, so I'm dressed as a cactus. That's why Donna commented on that. The desert. Yeah. The dryness. Like her vagina. Yeah. Like my vagina. Except <laughs> like it's a whole like cactus costume. But it's actually mm. really chic. Like it's like form fitting. And I'm wearing like this like beautiful like skirt. And like yeah. this mermaid bottom. And then it has like little cactuses on it. And then on top of my head, I did have a cactus, but it fell, stabbed my arm, and now there's blood. So mm. the hair piece is a no for me. Um, it's going to be a no. But yeah. Um, yeah. It's I do a little have, disturbing. Yeah. I know. But I am wearing this like cute little blonde number um white girl blonde just because i wanted to make it sure it was out of place i dig it i dig it <laughs> you're your beautiful prickly pear tonight <laughs> yay <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness so just a quick update for all of you listeners mm-hmm. me and donna have to say that we're so proud of the fact that we actually got ahead of schedule for a change <laughs> yeah we did so the cool thing about that is that a lot of these episodes that you're going to be hearing are going to be recorded previously and just kind of interviews with some of the people that are in the Portland community that we wanted to really make sure that we boosted up on our platform because they either lead really interesting, unique lives or are just staples here in the scene that we've come up in over the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. And so with that, Uh, Donna, how are you doing this evening? Oh, Coco, I will let you know after this brief commercial break when we bring on our guest. Do you wear t-shirts? Do you wear a face mask? I sure as hell hope so. Do you put on your silly little t-shirt and your silly little face mask and wish you had something a little more out there? Yes. Even something, dare I say, matching? Girl, yes, duh. Then it looks like HunterDrips.com is exactly what you need. At HunterDrips.com, socially relevant merch and apparel is up for sale. That's never for profit. 50 to 100% of every purchase is donated. I hear they carry matching shirts and masks with designs that say cute little slogans like Defund the Police, Black Lives Matter, and It Goes Over Your Nose, and even shirts and hats with your own pronouns on them. You know, things that are important. Oh, so you mean important. And almost all of it is donated? Yes! Donated. And guess what? What? It's size inclusive too? Yes! Up to 5XL. Why just make clothes for skinny people? It's all made by Queer Artist Girl. The creator of HunterDrips.com is trans, fat, 
lesbian. And the site also includes merch from other queer artists, including gay Portland rapper Tono. Listeners, head on over to hunterdrips.com and use the code SECRET for 15% off your purchase today. That's SECRET for 15% off your purchase at hunterdrips.com. It's a podcast with Coco and Donatella Podcast. Tune into what they tell you podcast with Coco and Donatella Podcast. You know, Coco, I am feeling like I'm in the true activist spirit because we have a great guest on tonight. We have Anjay Tifa. How are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm good. I'm great. I'm snowed in and living the dream. (laughs) Right? Isn't this weird? This is is my first like snow that hasn't lasted like less than an hour in Portland. I feel like it's usually like off the ground like by noon because it's melted away. But it was nice to have like... A little taste of Colorado getting this, like, heavy snow for a while. It was. Mm-hmm. It really was. Like, you know. And then, obviously, the city yeah. shut down. Right. Yeah. We've had yeah. such weird weather. <laughs> it was nice to have something normal for a second. Like, oh, this is supposed to happen. Perfect. I'll take it. I don't really care at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And for it's, real. It's so funny because, like, I, cause I'm the new event manager at Local. And she's taking yeah. every opportunity to write everyone as much as I can. Um, <laughs> well, no, I got a message from my boss today saying, Oh, yeah, we're closed. I was like, It started snowing 14 <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> it <laughs> like, took one what? look out the window. It's like, Nope. And just hit that group chat right away. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, Okay. <laughs> so, enough about how great we are. Um, let's talk about how great you are. Um, so, Let's start off with how did you come up with your drag name? Not that it was hard to think <laughs> Just tell the story of how you yeah. got there. Um, well, I started doing drag mostly because people were just kind of like pushing me into it. Um, I was like that kid. Mm. I was a theater kid. I always did like music and whatever. I was the kid that was like in the car. My mom was like, literally stop lip syncing at me. Like no one wants to see that. Please stop. So <laughs> I felt like she was always living in me, but I didn't quite know what she was um and i wanted to make sure that whatever i did with any performance that i had something behind it um not that i had to be this like super wise Mm. philosopher every time but just that there was more than just me getting up and like being a you know no offense to anybody but like i didn't want to just be like i'm a new queen i'm gonna do britney spears and that's all i'm gonna do and like i'm not gonna think about it because i definitely have other like artsy things going on so it just felt like a way to break the ice and open up the conversation anywhere that i went um and kind of bring the like everyday anti-fascist to Antifa and so yeah that's where she came from it was like super simple actually yeah I think I think it's a good point that you bring up that you say like you know not to like offend anyone about like just going up there and doing like a, a top 40 song yeah, and, and like, performing kill to it, it but you know, I think it's thing. yeah <laughs> yeah kill it do that and and, and yeah. you get that everywhere but I think it's extremely important to have a message like you were talking about I think I think that that's awesome and I think that there's a really good intersection when it comes to drag and activism Absolutely. and I mean just alone in your name like I think that's it's such a cool concept that you thank you yeah. yeah, I definitely wanted to, like, make yeah. sure, you know, I mean, drag is, like, an art form that comes from, like, Black trans culture and underground ballroom and things that, like, are so much more complex in history that some of us will literally never get to know. Like, more was lost than mm-hmm. than what we can find, unfortunately, in a lot of spaces like that. And so I wanted to make sure that, like, yeah. if I'm going to come into drag having been interpreting next to drag performers of all different kinds for like the whole year before and being inspired by so many styles and so many different people. Like I didn't want to, I felt like I needed to do reference to all the people that kind of like help that brought Anne out of me. And so I didn't want to just seem like it was a flippant decision. Even if I was going to do top 40, like, you know, I've done like a top 40, like mix before, but I mixed it together and did other things and made it like this Pokemon theme song thing. There was like a whole mess. So, (laughs) you know, like I just wanted to make sure that that I was uh, loving the people that are around me and the community that we already had and adding to it. I think that's awesome. You know, it's so funny the way that you talk about these issues, because I'm going to attack you for a second. (laughs) Because um, I think what's really interesting about activism is people think that they're not approachable, but I have to say, girl, like you were 
one of the most approachable people. Like, yeah, like, obviously we see you on the news. We see you at protests. We see you at riots. Like, we see you signing at a drag event. We see you performing at a drag event or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that energy, that, like, I can do this energy is, like, sometimes intimidating to people. But, like, literally every time I've had a conversation with you, it's, like, we're professional and responsible and, like, good rhetoric and good dialogue. And, like, you're just so easy to get along with. That it's <laughs> like, <laughs> I would just, like, kind of expect you to be this yeah. horrible monster of a person that, like, like the second I say hello and you'd be like, that is problematic uh. this week. And I'd be like, oh, okay, well, oh, I guess we'll just, like, walk over right. there, I guess. Oh, my God, <laughs> like, no. I t- I, I, like, anybody that really gets to know me knows that I just wear everything on my sleeve. I have sort of, like, mm. I, I, like, half of it is, like, me, half of it is, like, a trauma response, you know, being, like, here's everything, <laughs> like, you know, I'm not hiding anything, I swear, and, like, but, like, I just, I, I want to be loud all the time, and I just want to, like, be whatever, but I just, like, fucking love people, so I'm happy to hear you say that, because I feel the same way, and I definitely know I can be prickly, but I'm I'm also yeah. not like from the Pacific Northwest, can. so you know, Mama is from the desert and has some cactusy thorns on her, and like <laughs> I play a different game. So I think that like you know, some of us are on that wavelength, and we're like, I see you, I see you, I see you, and it keeps it super chill, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I do. I super agree. Well, you mentioned uh, just now a little bit about your upbringing. So where do you originate from and how did you end up in Portland? I was born and raised in Tucson, Arizona. Um, so it's like an okay. hour south of Phoenix. Yeah. And I ended up in Portland because my ex what a story. No one's ever heard this one before. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, you know, oh, here we go. There was We've this actually, we really might have cute heard white it. man, and I had just had to have him, so here I am. And, um, yeah. Dang. So, woo, yeah, so I, um, <laughs> I'm like, sorry if any listeners are triggered. I should have put, like, a warning before that. Um, but, yeah, so here I am, just living the dream. Yeah. I, f- I feel like that might not even be the first time that story has been told on a podcast. <laughs> I know. I was like, what is this? Like, they're like, well, there was this, like, really... It was the interview with Atlas. Katya, oh, too. Oh, Katya. I feel like that, Katya. yeah, I had a yeah. Katya flashback for sure to that same thing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if I can I be interviewed. Boy. It's just the same information. Like, people might get bored. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. <laughs> So, great. Let's move on to something more specific. (laughs) (laughs) So, let's talk about, did you, how long have you been doing drag? My first drag was, it had to be, like, October 2019. I did Baby Queers that used to be hosted by Lolita Yeo, now known as the Antichrist, who Mm -hmm. is my, like, unofficial Mm -hmm. drag mother. And our whole thing was, like, I'm going to tell everyone that I hate her in the beginning and that she's going to claim me as her daughter and that was going to be our thing for a good year. So I'm officially announcing, yes, she is my drag mother. I've talked a lot of shit about her on purpose. (laughs) She fully consented and fed it. It was wonderful. But yeah, did Baby Queers and then uh, just like dove in from there. So not really that long at all. Yeah, it's great. But I I, I remember looking at your Instagram and hopefully I'll remember to post some photos because I've been so bad about that recently. You have this like really artistic take like from the get, like, which I like, where does that come from? Like, what's your inspiration? Um, I feel like I'm just a little bit of a sponge. I like to, I mean, you know, <laughs> like I just, like I said, I was interpreting next to all different types of drag performers at local lounge and, and, and CCs and everywhere for a while. So I got really inspired by, you know, I loved like, like Rita Lynn's pumpkin spice latte number where it was all about like the layers oh, of yeah. existence, but like, she funneled fucking pumpkin spice latte into her mouth, like like stuff like that, or like Jocelyn Knobs building like an entire thing that glows in the dark and then opens and there's people inside of like this this underworld Nina West moment, like you know there's just all these like incredible pieces of drag that were around me that I just felt like you know I I've always been like I said a theater kid I'm a musician I make music and so I kind of like to create worlds and 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 do artsy random things and make people see something maybe that they didn't think of before one of my favorite numbers was when i had people like put ornaments into my body and then i like bled green paint to 
make a Christmas tree. Um, just little things like that, like I think are exciting. And I just have a weird idea and I run with it. And it had, sometimes it works and sometimes it does not. So I have a question. Were you interpreting, just solely interpreting prior to performing? Or did the interpreting come after? Or was it, so which came, which came so, before? So uh, when I moved to Portland, I very much was like, I'm going to, you know, be quiet and work my way up kind of thing. I had just released mm-hmm. music, but I didn't really know how to push it. And I didn't know anybody. So I kind of took a back seat and was just interpreting. Um, and I actually met Rita Lynn mm-hmm. at a trans poetry reading night and that I happened to be interpreting at and she came up and was like hey I do drag shows I don't even know how we would do that but you know if we could do that that'd be great uh so it was that interaction and me going to the Tuesday night shows at local lounge that happened first and then I just sort of planted seeds with people was like I really want to do this how would I even start where do I begin how do I get booked like you know what do I even have to do with that and uh, so yeah the interpreting came well the art like came first in life but the interpreting came first in this <laughs> yeah 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 for sure how did you learn to sign I taught myself I saw this like deaf oh, kid wow. in church when I was little and then uh, I bought a book and I grew up just like learning um, I didn't really have any deaf friends until high school when I started going to deaf night out um, and like ASL practice nights at restaurants that they used to have. And then in college is when I took my first ASL class and officially got into it and was like, oh, this could be my career. Like I didn't even know interpreting was a real thing. I just learned sign language because I thought it was cool. And I had friends that took it and I was always taking other classes. My high school didn't even offer a, um, a sign language class. So just like, yeah, was my like hobby. <laughs> That's really cool. That's really You're cool. Like, yeah, yeah. It's a hobby. That's just, I just liked I it. Just, yeah. I thought there was going to be like some this huge backstory. <laughs> it really, it's like so bored. They're like, oh my God, like, what is your journey? I'm like, I don't know. Like I bought a book and then it was cool. And I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I wish I had something way more exciting. Yeah. So um, actually I do have a question. Who is one of like the biggest names in your signing career that you've interpreted, like signed for? is interpreted Yeah, for um, it depends for. on what realm, I guess. I've interpreted for yeah. uh, like political side. I mean, I interpreted for Trump during his rally when he came to Tucson during his campaign. Oh, wow. I was not, so to be clear, he didn't hire sign language interpreters. I went incognito in a bunch of jeans and camouflage hats and a white t-shirt with some deaf friends. Uh, who wanted to check it out for themselves and interpreted there for them. Mm-hmm. But we did get hired at like the, the Bernie Sanders rally, you know, so, you know, politicians on that level. In terms of like music, I've, you know, we've gotten to do like Erica Badu, Fleetwood oh, wow. Mac. We did, we did the Wild and Out tour when they came here two years ago. That was really Dang. wild and fantastic. Doing TED Talks for people that are, you know, at the top of their class. Yeah, I guess that <laughs> yeah wow yeah. that's wow. Yeah. fantastic do you ever like let's talk about something okay. controversial like because this actually this is like a drag related podcast and this came up this is that wow what it's not even a drag related thing i was going to bring up but I'm just <laughs> about to say that, apparently. um yeah <laughs> we like to claim that this is a drag related podcast but then we slap you across the face with some is politics it, like the, the rest is know. drag right like so we'll just yeah. it under that umbrella like this is all drag it's fine yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. how do you feel about like so wasn't the big scandal at the inaugura- inauguration that there was um somebody signing what was what was this? Oh yeah, I have not heard. So of this is a great topic. What, what yeah. That? So because I initially okay. spoke up about it after talking with some deaf friends, and then more information came out, and we were like, "Oops, okay, cool, never mind, it's fine." So the mm-hmm. uh, there are, I guess, like cut layers to it, right? So the woman who did mm-hmm. it, her father or her grandfather was deaf, so she is what is considered a coda, a child of deaf adults. And that is sort of like a intersectional identity where a hearing person's parents are deaf, who are culturally deaf, use ASL, think like a deaf person, act like a deaf person, whatever, but they are hearing. Um, So a lot of times it's sort of like, uh, like I grew up in Tucson, so the closest sort of equivalent that I have is first or second generation, like Mexican Americans who learn English, 
who sort of have to like become this mm. cultural like interpreter, translator, facilitator for their parents, um, or really any first generation, mm, but sure. being from Tucson, I'm just using that as an example. And so uh, uh, ASL is her first language and she is culturally part of the deaf community while not being a deaf person. So uh, her speaking and signing was in honor of that to bring sort of accessibility oh. to that moment and to bring like the intersection of her identity to that moment in honor of her deaf family. So while it was great that she was asked to do that because there was no ASL interpreter physically there because no deaf people were, were there, she, she did that. So the initial sort of kerfuffle was that she is a hearing person. And if people don't know that she's a CODA or doesn't have that intimate proximity to deaf culture, that is mm -hmm. like, can seem appropriative only in the sense that then that video gets shared to like everybody and they're like, oh my God, sign language and it's so pretty and like bloop, 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 bloop. And like, we don't talk about like <laughs> deaf issues or like deaf inclusion. Like it would have been, it, it would have been, and I'm sure this, you know, that she agrees, that it would have been cool to have a deaf person there to do that. In the end of the day, she is still the best choice to do that because it's her rank, it's her job, it's her skill, it's her identity, and she still is representing for deaf culture that includes CODAs. And it would be different if I, if it was someone like me who it didn't grow up, grow up in deaf culture, I don't have deaf family. While I have deaf friends and while I've had deaf friends for years and, you know, I'm close to the community and whatever, I'm not part of it. And so while it, it wouldn't be seen in the same light and it wouldn't be shared then with that same context behind. So that was like the, the sort of fluff around it, but that's all of the cultural context around it that, that people, I guess, didn't really have that access makes, to. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Well, and then the reason I was asking that is how do you deal with mm -hmm. that in the sense of like the appropriative nature of well now you even admitting on the podcast that you didn't yeah. you're not a coda you didn't grow up you did it because it was like i wanted to right. learn this thing and that's great because you expanded your skill sets mm -hmm. but how do you deal with that especially in portland because portland feels a way about things quickly oh, they do <laughs> well and the, the deaf world is so small and so the interpreting world is really really small too mm -hmm. we are like one degree of separation from each other truly so the asl interpreting like feel that large has a history of being very ableist, very oddest, like not centering deaf people. It's a bunch of typically like white women, like I'm gonna save the deaf people cause I knew sign language from church. Like that's, mm. that's what it is. Like, and if people who push back on that are mm. probably the white women offended by that statement, to be honest, because we can acknowledge that that's part of our field and not have to like attack individual white women about it. You know, like in general, that's what our field yeah. is. That's what the yeah. history is. Period. Deaf people like were like started it, were pushed back, and now we're trying to like get them to the forefront of it again. I, as an interpreter, it's natural that I'm gonna get attention because we're not ubiquitous enough for it to not be cool. If we saw interpreters everywhere, it wouldn't be as exciting as if we see it in the few times that we do see it. If access and inclusion and representation were everywhere, sign language wouldn't be super, like, ooh, like it's still beautiful, right? That's fine, like that can all be there, but not in the like, <gasps> like this sort of monolithic, like mystical creature that is ASL with like no engagement that, that people typically find. So interpreters were kind of like taught how to balance that, how to push away from us and be like, hey, oh my God, I'm so cool. You should hire a deaf person. Like how to sort of shift that energy away. It's it's different for me because I run fingers crossed and I'm very like visible. So I really try to balance my platform between sharing resources that I know and boosting deaf people and deaf creatives who should be the forefront of like dialogues because of lived experience. I also have caught flack and like been canceled in the past because I did a TED talk about interpreting. And that was like, a shit show nightmare of an experience. And Ted is terrible. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it like on wax. They, you know, especially TEDx Bend, Mo Carrick, you can get some. Like, I don't, like, whoo, 
They are, an, it's a nightmare. Yeah. And so you can edit that out if you want, but like, I'll, yeah. No, no, but yeah, that shit was like a nightmare. And so what, what happens from there is that rapid sort of dialogue, right? Of like, here's these interpreters and I did this thing and da, 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 and like, ah, and we got caught in like the whirlwind that sort of, you mentioned the Portland whirlwind, but because our community is so small, like the whole world is playing. So I feel like mm. there are complicated dialogues that are happening now that have never happened before because deaf people have not been platformed in the ways that they are currently. And so interpreters are going to make lots of mistakes. We're going to overstep. We're going to overreach because we have had the freedom to overstep and overreach and be advocating for things for so long because deaf people aren't in the room. Now there's a ton of deaf people in the room. And the interpreters are learning the ways that we can step back or step beside or, you know, like step in different ways. And so uh, hearing people, that being said, hearing people should never be gaining clout off of ASL or deaf culture. We should not be teaching ASL. We should not be doing like TikTok videos where we're like signing music and like, oh my God, look how many followers I have. Because deaf creatives do that and they get no followers, no likes, no support. Mm. And on top of like being deaf in a hearing world where like you have access to nothing and finally here's this platform where you can share your language and like hearing people are all over it, like doing it. Like it's, it's, it's cultural appropriation. It's like so disgusting and it's something that people don't talk about. So there is like that layer of like visibility is cool if you're like focusing on deaf people, but if you're just in it to like, sign your own stuff and like be cool you're probably signing wrong first of all because you're hearing and you don't know what you're doing and and yeah, yeah. so that was like a very long-winded answer but it was a complicated question no, no. I, that was the most interesting <laughs> thing i have heard i honestly in a long time yeah it's honestly stuff that we just don't think about and that kind of brings me to my next question what are some things that we as queer people in these spaces can do to be better. And I can answer for things that I do to be an ally, but my first recommendation to anybody is engage with deaf people and ask them what they want, what they need. And it's one thing to remember too about accessibility and disability and disability justice in general is that because we live in a world that was not universally designed and is not universally accessible, what is going to be accessible for one person may end up being inaccessible for another person. So there are deaf people who need an ASL interpreter. There are deaf people who need captions. There are deaf people who need both. Mm -hmm. There are deaf people who are also blind and need their sign language protactilely under their hands, like physical sign language. Mm -hmm. There are, you know, people who are deaf but low vision who just need to sit closer and have a dark background that's contrasted. Like, there's a million different things and, like, there's no way that we can think of all of them or accommodate everybody. And so... Um, moving yeah. forward, like captioning videos, like literally just Googling best practices for captioning will tell you which fonts to use, how to like black out the back of your screen, like where to put it on the screen so that people can figure it out. I, I mean, really just like engagement. And, and one thing too, as like the interpreter for like the deaf shows, like we really don't have a lot of interpreters who are skilled in interpreting music, plus our like... Uh, well-versed in queer culture to keep up with y'all because like frankly half the time like we are we're like repairing and like giving more context we're like here's what they're talking about here's what this word means like you know like oh they said this like queer slang or they referenced this weird RuPaul thing like that's why actually Sinombri and I are doing our series because like none of that is accessible. Like that, like RuPaul doesn't caption her videos, and if the video and if the auto captions aren't fully correct, which newsflash they're not, like how do you have access to? Like how does YouTube auto captions know how to be like you know like Shantae you stay okay? You know like all our weird like yeah. How do you read that? And you're like oh yeah I get that. Like that's not real life or like or or half of the things that she does like that they reference on that show are like old queer movies that like, where's the captioned version of that? Where's the, like, where's the deaf, you know, discussion about that? Like, there's just not a connection there. So when we're interpreting drag shows, we're doing a lot more than just word for word what's happening. We're adding a lot, we're explaining a lot, we're spelling out these words and then being like, do you have a sign for, you know, what is the sign for like, 
for slay. Like I don't fucking know. Like I can come up with conceptual sure. things that that show what you mean, but there's not like a sign for that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's an interesting point. Like, how would you describe to? I always like to talk about it in the sense of the alien mm. analogy too. Like, how would you describe <laughs> to an alien what? Uh, slay bitch yes yeah. means and that would be almost nearly impossible to a degree because you're just like context yeah and you context need, is super yeah. important but that yeah i can see where you're getting at and i never even considered that one because i'm hearing and incredibly privileged in that and i have to really acknowledge that and take a step back and think but i've never heard that before yeah. and this will be good for our yeah. listeners too yeah, well what is what does preparation typically look like for a show? So you have all these queens submitting these mixes. I'm, I'm sure you have to listen mm-hmm. through everything. And it's not always just going to be like a straight track from, you know, like a top 40 hit or anything like that. So what? how long does it normally uh, take? We like to have the, I mean, so for a big like concert, we would sometimes have their set list even up to like a month in advance so that we can really get it mm-hmm. down. Fortunately, me uh, and the other interpreter who does this a lot, Carly Jones, we listen to Top 40, we listen to lots of music, we try to stay abreast on what people may do, but especially, like you said, a mix, it's going to be really hard. One good example is Sue from Corporate does this mix where it's from uh, The Devil Wears Prada, she's talking about like, that that oh, cerulean that is a chain of blah 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 blah, and we had to pick this, and then it was on this runway, and it's like, and the way she says it, and it's all this history and whatever, and then it switches to that like Gucci, Cartier, whatever that song is. I don't know the words, but like having yeah. to sort of like explain, like this is a like okay, what you're about to hear or what you're about to witness and see visually is like a mix of the this movie with this song that is called this and and I have to show like when I'm Meryl Street and when I'm the song and we have to sign those differently so that that switch makes sense or you know yeah so there's a lot of preparation that goes into trying to figure out how we're going to get that information to somebody uh someone also recently just did a mix where it was like a Taylor Swift song with that driver's license song that like drives me crazy and is everywhere I, oh my god it's, it's everywhere, everywhere. Oh, okay because i watched a youtube okay. video about that song and there's disney girl drama around it oh man it's juicy i live oh. for stuff like this but <laughs> i need to go down I'm, that route I'll, I'll send you all the links girl i got you yeah okay <laughs> but they were like putting the songs together and it switches from the verse one into the pre-chorus of the other one and then the two choruses are on top of each other so i'm like okay well i can't sign two songs at the same time so i have to sign one over here switch to the other one over here and then when when they're together, I literally, how I handle it, and every interpreter is different, but we'll pick, like, okay, now I'm signing this part of the chorus that leads into this part of this chorus that leads into the, like, I have to show that they're blending. There's, oh. like, things going on, like, metalinguistically that, like, we're, we're adding in as well. So it takes repeatedly yeah. listening to those mixes. I did not know and any of that. That's why we're kind of like, hey, can you please send your music? Hey, can you please send your music? Because if it's, you know, I mean, if it's, like, levitating, like, that's on the radio every nine seconds. You cannot escape Dua Lipa. And yeah. thankfully, like... <laughs> Right. <laughs> like, no offense to her either. Like, top 40 pop is, like, so predictable painfully that, like, when you're turning it into a conceptual language, there's only so much you can do. Because, like, you yeah. know, she's saying the same thing for, like, nine choruses. You know, it's, like, the same. We, we get it. You're levitating. Your heart. Oh, my God. You're in love. Like, the moonlight. The starlight. Like, okay, I get it. Like it's not ex- how many different ways right, are you, you know, going to say I, it? That's not like as visually exciting. Like I, I try to explain to someone too, like with rap and hip hop, right? Like rap and hip hop are super exciting because how people are using their words and what it sounds like and what that effect is on us is totally part of it. You could be saying something like, like you could be saying whatever you want, but if it sounds cool or you have a, a, a specific cadence or you're rhyming words at a certain part in the beat, that's an exciting thing to our ear auditorily. But like, then hearing people think that when they interpret rap that they have to like be going really fast doing this, and then you're like, that's not like to watch a blur of hands is not exciting. But to remove that concept and to rebuild that concept to something that makes sense visually and and conceptually and culturally is like part of the the mission when we do anything like that too. So there's, yeah, there's a lot of pieces to it. 
My goodness. I yeah. feel like I'm just being so schooled right now. Yeah. In it's... an incredibly approachable yeah. way. That's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. It's crazy. And I do want our listeners to understand, like, some of the stuff obviously is incredibly new for me and Donatello, so we're just fascinated by it. But like, as Anjay Tifa here said, like, I believe that accessibility also can, you can learn on your own too. Like, just as long as you go out there and find the information. And here's the thing though, a lot of the stuff that you've told us is not questions I would have even considered mm -hmm. to ask. Um, yeah. Nobody's ever said any of this stuff to me before. Because ignorance and privilege, I mean, that's just, yeah, what happens. I mean, and I and here we are sitting on a platform that's, you know, auditory. Yeah. It's all auditory. And there are definitely so many different accessibility issues and we need to be better if we can. And it's it's really important, honestly, having these conversations with you. I know that we we wanted to do what we can to make this more accessible. Yeah, my fav one of my favorite podcasts uh, actually did this recently, which I thought was super interesting because I didn't even I didn't know how they could do this. But of course, they're like super famous now. And they're <laughs> funny. Uh, every episode now they have a YouTube link um, and there's two people on the podcast. And so they just have two different interpreters who mm. just interpret the entire Love episode that. and they just have a link now for every other episodes. And I was like, gosh, that seems incredibly simple um, in the sense of like making it accessible. And so they just add it. They just release it at the same time that they do the episodes. So they take a little bit more time in their mm -hmm. editing room, of course. So they get both released at the same time to make it more fun and fair for everybody. And I was like, gosh, that seems really easy to do. Mm -hmm. Well, that they have the access yeah. to doing that as well. Yeah. I yeah. know that people have limited time and resources and you know knowledge and and it's just about you know it's that each one teach one like it's just being loud and talking about it anytime you're in the room like hey accessibility you know when it comes to a podcast like a transcript is great getting interpreters is even better that assumes sometimes that you have interpreters readily available sometimes money can become an issue like which is you know thankfully interpreters negotiate and like do good stuff think Fully. Not all of them do. But you know, like navigating your way through that and being willing to give that little bit of time is really all that it takes. Like it's just a little bit of patience. And I saw I, I wish that I could remember exactly how he said it. But basically, there's this guy on on Instagram who does a lot of really cool stories about political quick, you know, whatever, and recently made one that he captioned and has since been captioning all his videos about how he had all these people reaching out saying that info is great but if it's not able to reach everyone and it's inaccessible then like it's not revolutionary it doesn't really matter like how can we fix that and he was like yeah navigating my uh, my privilege of being able to say what i am and am not allowed to like or am or am not able to give access to like is a piece of privilege that we often don't think about like we are able to navigate these things and and provide access it's just hard but it's not impossible. And then there are things already set up for us to be able to successfully do that as long as we're connecting and engaging with each other. It's just the same as anything else. Yeah, it makes sense because it just has a lot to do. And this applies to almost like everything when it comes to like personal yeah. accessibility. The, the line that I heard once was, it's okay for someone to be uncomfortable. It causes them a little bit of discomfort because they don't understand what's happening specifically in a moment. And this applies to so many different Oof. layers of activism. Oh, yeah. Be like, understanding that it's going to cause discomfort, especially if they don't even know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and like, but honestly, for people in certain different marginalized communities, they're uncomfortable a lot mm -hmm. of the time. And so the privileged groups being like, five minutes of being like really embarrassed or humiliated because um, those are words that we don't ever really use for the privilege but when they're embarrassed or humiliated they can get through that discomfort as long as we let them live in that discomfort to learn better well and it's like and it's not letting people off the hook with just like okay i'm ready to learn like learning is action and learning is fluid we learn every day especially in a movement movements change every day. We might still be fighting for similar goals, but what it looks like is very different today even than it was yesterday. And the day, you know, yesterday our you know or 48 hours ago we had a mayor that didn't mace someone in the face. And now 24 hours ago now we do have a mayor that mace someone in the face. So like 
the yeah, oh, the true. movement's yeah. going to change every day. Little details going to change every yeah. day. How are we going to, you know, and that's like a very small thing, but it does change the dialogue. It doesn't have to be a violent thing. It could be a brand new person moves into town and has a great new perspective. Like you just never know. And like being able to learn out loud, stay radically accountable to each other. Cause that is like a pure form of love. In my opinion, is that like radical accountability? Like, I think that it's just, it's, it's, it's being able to, it's, it's progress over purity and progress over perfection, right? Like, but just not being used to excuse things, more of just like, we're doing the best we can. So I want to switch gears for the last few moments of our episode here, because I think it's really important for our listeners. Like we say this on the podcast a lot, that BLM protests and riots yeah. happen for roughly about three to four months here. And you were heavily involved in being out there most every day um, or how often you went. I don't actually know your life like that, but, um, <laughs> but tell us about um, kind of like a really high level, like, what was that experience like for you, obviously being a person who's not black, by the way, listeners, uh, and JT, for the <gasps> um, being as a person who's not black, um, being in a very f- black yeah. focused movement for so, for so long. Yeah. So my uh, fingers crossed interpreting and just sort of my like activism, like really diving into it, turning it into action started with Occupy ICE a summer about three, mm-hmm. four years ago, however long it was. Um, mm-hmm. And I was there because deaf people showed up. So I definitely want to like make that known first. Like the deaf community showed up and interpreters responded. That was not something that I, I mean, I was going and supporting anyway, but it was like, oh, here's a need because deaf people are like out in the streets also doing the thing, you know? So um, I definitely want to like give credit where credit is due that the deaf community is radical as fuck out here and like brought us out there. The quote unquote, like Portland George Floyd uprising of of 2020 (laughs) whatever um Mm -hmm. i would say that like really i mean i was just at the ice building like not last what last night i mean people have been in the streets every day since that started there was a big you know hype for like a few months but after even the hype went away people have still been out people have still been arrested and tear gassed and and it, the same energy has been going on just with a lot less people, unfortunately. And we lost a lot of numbers. We lost a lot of people for many different reasons that like is too big for the few minutes we have here now. I feel yeah. like I, I am very thankful because I interpret for so many different groups. I'm able to talk to a lot of different people and sort of actively live the things that I'm learning in the moment and being able to practice it and 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 change it and get a new perspective on it. Um, I'm so thankful for like, especially the, the black women and femmes and the indigenous people who like, have been just fighting for like, since Occupy ICE, like, let me kind of sneak in like this little white kid, like, I'm gonna sign language for you. And like, really like saw that as important and was like, it's fine that you're white, like you're doing this thing. Like, how can we get other black and brown people to do this? But like, you have a skill that is important for the movement. And like, sort of being able to like, have a skill validated, have a role, like fill a place and be able to learn like is invaluable. I am so thankful it changed me as a person. And I think that anybody can have that experience if they're coming in with the humility of not just like, like, my white guilt is so crippling to me that I literally won't won't do anything. Like I, it it seems to me that like we really just desperately need people to like humanize each other, communicate with each other, and like really, really like get moving on stuff. So it's been. I don't want to like make it seem like it's been this cool like learning moment for me, or that it's been inspired. You know, like people have been so many. I have interpreted so many vigils just in the last year, like for, for people that are like just hashtags, but like also people in the community, like, you know, there's youth activists here that knew Travis Nagdi when he was like murdered. And like, that would like broke my heart. Cause those are like my friends and that was their friend. And like, now I'm like, we literally live in a city where my, my friends are getting FBI door knocks, where my friends are the ones who like are, one 
moment away from being a hashtag because we live with, you know, like a situation that is so unsafe and violent. So it's also not like a fun learning, like, wow, I really learned a lot and I've grown so much because like black and brown people were getting murdered. Like that feels so icky. So I don't know if I have the yeah. words to, to fully describe that feeling. You, you know what's actually interesting, though, when you talk about that specific subject is one thing that I found to be incredibly disappointing, especially, in, well, obviously it was happening in Portland, like those, you know, protests were happening in Portland. One thing I found to be incredibly disappointing across the board was that I knew of people who were going to those marches, going out in support, and numbers in, of movement are important. Right. We all know that. Like, that's why Selma was so important. Like, numbers are important. But what I was finding is when people just, like, almost, like, it would be like if somebody showed up to Selma to march across that bridge and then like went home and just was like a terrible, mm -hmm. horrible racist. Here in Portland, sometimes, and actually a lot of the time, a lot of the time that they were out in those streets, like not right. learning anything. So as like as much as, yeah, as much as you said, it's almost icky saying I learned something. I almost find it to be ickier when somebody didn't yeah. learn anything. Like, like, you know, marching in the streets and then coming back home and being oh terrible. God. Well, and then also doing it just to be like, I did my part. Now did people, part. yeah, like people can can get off my back because I did that. Yeah. Part, you right. know? And, and, and what's frustrating, yeah. too, is when you when you can really tell who only knows like three black women ever because they like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, you can really tell. So if, you funny. know, <laughs> they they ever. will really be like, listen to black women, and there's like three, and it's like two of them they've never met, and one is their neighbor that they like, you know, that they met. Like, I, I, there's just like because like black women, like that alone is just like so reductive to the black experience, the woman experience. It's the ways that like it is used. Not that I like. I'm not trying to say that we need to like. You know, oh, I'm not saying abolish yeah. the, the title black women. Like I'm saying like, <laughs> like <laughs> if only we could get away like, from like, yeah, all those this? identities. <laughs> all right. We're going to have to make this episode another hour. Right, yeah. <laughs> You're like, wait, Angie Tifa wants to abolish black women. Like, yeah. uh, no. like, but I want to abolish the ways that people use that to defend their complacency and white supremacy, frankly, because like, because yeah. black women in the movement disagree because black women in the movement are a spectrum. And so instead of just centering this black woman and saying center black women, it means step the fuck back and see the whole spectrum and respect what the fact, what the fuck is not our thing to speak on, which is a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. And be thankful that we get to learn at all because we like in 2021, when we have the internet and we have zines and we have people and we have all these resources readily available that are hard to navigate in many ways, but are still readily available nonetheless for a lot of people. It is a privilege to get to learn it from someone's like life and mouth. Like that is uh that is that communication is like a, a, a piece of humanity. It is it is sacred. Like communicating with a human. Like we developed language and we developed gesture and we developed pieces of art to communicate with each other. Like it should not be a flippant thing like that is a sacred moment so like i i totally agree like if you were out in those streets to get tear gas just to say you got tear gas like you were part of the problem like you know oh, like absolutely. that's that and that's still happening you know it, it, there are still people in the streets who are still there on a glory high and that is something that is like where we have to sift through the the theater of it. Some part of activism and some part of movements is a theater and is creating a mo yeah. you know a moment. That's totally part of it. But if people show up for the movement and they forget about the yesterday and the tomorrow, then where they're missing why that movement and why that moment was so important. And it's been disappointing to go through the last three years really because Occupy and then you know, disarm PSU and then this and then this and then this and then this. It's been, you know, Patrick Kimmons was murdered and then this happened, this happened. Like there's so many things that our community is constantly dealing with. I can't blame people for needing to take a step back and like take a breather. We also need to like remember that like it's an at the it is an unbroken chain of resistance that is thousands of years old that goes far before us and will go far beyond us. And we just really need to strengthen that link right now the best that we can. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. That's, that was so well said. Yeah, that yeah. was really well said. I'm going to probably figure out one of those quotes to use as a title <laughs> of this episode. I liked the I liked you talking about the history of the movement, you know, like not just focusing on a movement when they're when yeah. it's in the news, you know, understanding where it's where it's rooted and and understanding the people that are involved in it. It's so so key to being a a productive ally. To marry what you said, like I really, I did see an article recently about Stacey Abrams where it was pretty much like, to paraphrase, was like, you do realize she's actually real. Right. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh, yeah, no, right. I didn't actually. I didn't realize that she was a real person. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that black women, even though they are magic, as all of them are, um, they, they're also still real people with differences of opinions and the phrase black women is getting this like heightened sense of responsibility without any of the without any of like the detail the understanding the understanding we're just like yeah putting this up on a pedestal that's like built with like bendy straws and we're just like okay like (laughs) wow you're so cool and strong and they're like i don't know if this is stable we're like no 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 like you're so strong you'll get through it like it's just it's a nightmare and it's like it's it's what i mean to like really name it like it perpetuates violence it's like a systemic violence of like removing humanity from black people but especially black women and femmes and just expecting them that they like you know it's the hyper like if you can get through it that you can get through anything like how about you know that people do that with Teresa Rafer too like I got to you know I've gotten to like listen to music and like dance around with Teresa like we're friends we talk like when people are like Teresa Rafer is this magical human I'm like yes and she is also a human who like (laughs) is tired because there's a city on her back because she's a black woman who can't go home during her election because the death threat she's receiving. But like, you know, she, she can't go on Twitter and be like, I'm an everyday anti-fascist like Sarah Ayanna Roan can. Like that's not the way that the world works. And like, you know, I want people to keep in mind too, that like Teresa Rayford ran next to a democratic mayor. So Democrats and and leftists and stuff were the people that were tearing her apart and perpetuating that stuff. Like, Lyndon B. Johnson was a Democrat when they assassinated MLK and was running on a lot of platforms that, like, Democrats are, like, still dancing around with. And progress is great, and we need to celebrate those and keep history in context and be like, none of this shit is going to save us. Like, we literally need to have us. And it starts with taking Black women off of that shaky pedestal and like giving them what they actually need to get the shit done like you know there's like other stuff going on and like portland spends a lot of time building pedestals not knowing how to reinforce them and make them you know real mm. Ooh, good. Uh, that one Damn. I mean, as someone who, like, I am, like, I'm just this white little, like, Arizona, like, you know, but, like, people put me on a pedestal. Like, people will, you know, I would go to those protests and, like, trying to get tear gas off my face. And people are, like, first of all, I'm non-binary, which is, like, unclear sometimes, but doesn't matter. People are, like, you're that sign language guy. And I'm, like, what? Like, I can't, you know, hold on. Like, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, you're my hero. Like, I love you. Like, I follow you on Instagram. I'm like, I'm, I appreciate it. And like, can you DM me later? Like, now is not the time. Like, <laughs> like that, later? you know, people are crying for help. Like, can we talk about me later? Like, you know, or like, or, yeah. or we are all sharing our opinions, right? Like, I'm very loud. We all know it, whatever. Like, that's like, I don't shy away from it. I own everything I say, like, that's fine. I do that because I want to play the social media game because I want to be accountable. But also like, it, it, it's like, if you want me on this like big pedestal, like I'm going to continue to humanize myself as someone who is imperfect because like the, I am not perfect. I don't know everything. Nobody has anything to prove to me. Don't prove to me that you were out on the streets. I'm just asking questions on why we're, on why people are not in general. And if the answer is because yeah. I cannot, yeah. perfect. Let everyone see the reasons why people cannot go on the streets so that we can build intersectional movements that that include all those people as well. Allow that. Like, you know, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so as we wrap up, I, you know, the fun, actually one point about that though, that's really great is I say this on my Facebook a lot. I say, I keep everything on my Facebook public. And I was like, and I keep the things that I later unlearn on there as well, because I like to show people that I'm embarrassed mm-hmm. of the things that I thought three, three years ago. Yeah. And it shows growth for the things totally. that I say now. I was like, so yeah. 
Yeah. But yeah, yeah, and I think that's also a good way to handle like cancel Ugh. culture because a lot of the people would will go out of the way to try to look for something that you've said in the past that's problematic. And I think it's great when those opportunities come up to be like, yeah, I may have thought that way at one point, but you also don't realize that I've been like 10 different people oh since that point. Like, and I went to private yeah. Christian high school in Tucson, Arizona. Oh my during, God. Which by yeah. the way, like during the Bush presidency. Okay. Yeah. During, and I was in college during 2008 with like the height of Lil Wayne and all, you know, like I was gross. Yeah. <laughs> like cancel me. Like this is the official call. Yeah. Honestly, I need a break. Cancel me maybe so that I can take like some time off. But like that version of myself deserves yes. to be canceled. Yes, she totally does. Oh, um, I mean, I, my best friend yeah. from Tucson will share her old statuses on purpose and be like, "What the fuck is going on here? What is this disaster?" Like, you know, I, yeah. we've been there for sure. I own it. She, she public for sure. It's all there. You can find it if you need to. <laughs> <laughs> if, you need, if you need to cancel, it's babe. there. I'll send it to you. <laughs> So, and for the very end of this, I wanted to take a little bit of time just to for you to plug Giving the Finger you know, oh, with Sin. Do. Because it is it is the world's first and only RuPaul's Drag Race review show that's fully in ASL. And I think that it's really awesome that you and Sin are doing that. And I, I just want you to take some time to just kind of tell our listeners where they can tune into that and just kind of how the idea yeah, started. So we are on YouTube. Episode three is coming out soon. I know that we are about to re- have RuPaul's episode five. Yes, we're a little behind. We are on what we like to call Deaf Drag Queen Standard Time, which means it's supposed <laughs> to come out on Tuesday, so it'll probably be out next Thursday. Um, so DDST. Yes. Okay. So, um, <laughs> giving the finger, it, you can just find us. It's giving the finger with sin and Ann, S I N and A N N E. But my friend told me that she just put giving the finger in YouTube and it was the first thing that came up. So experiment oh, with cool. that trick, the cool. algorithm. We would love that. Um, it started, mm-hmm. like I sort of mentioned before, a lot of drag slang and a lot of things like there were not, I assume, ASL interpreters at like the old balls or like in the clubs with like Amanda Lepore and like, you know, RuPaul. Like there wasn't an ASL interpreter like cack it a cack 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 and the face gives them face. Like yeah. we <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there were deaf people there. I'm sure it's a piece of history we made, you know, fine one day, but like it really like was not a thing. So a lot of what we take for granted yeah. as our culture is things that Sinombre as a new drag queen and just as a queer person in general doesn't have access to, doesn't understand a lot of. They see a lot of memes or like y'all like to roast, you know, I mean, I say y'all like I'm not a drag queen, but we all like roast each other on Facebook and like say Mm -hmm. ridiculous left field stuff from some random show or like, oh my God, that person's always late or like, oh my God, that person is, you know, such a, a Sharon Needles or, you know, what the fuck ever we say, like that makes no sense. There's no cultural comeback. So we wanted to create something that broke down deaf culture in breaking down queer culture um, and watching RuPaul. And Mm. because RuPaul's Drag Race, like, obviously we all know is not, like, perfect fracking, but we... Yeah, um, uh, 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 yeah. do we have to do the, like, the peppermint thing? Like, and laugh for 104 minutes. Um, But, like, even that moment, right? That moment was not captioned, it's not accessible, and it gets shared, and it's not, like, and who's gonna, like... Who's going to caption, like, now Bob and Peppermint are cackling maniacally for four minutes? Like, it just doesn't, you know? So how do we even build up who those people are? Why I need to know who who Peppermint is? Like, that is queer culture and history in itself like pep is an icon you know in the in where she's from like she does things she is incredible and she is a trans Uh trailblazer and kicks ass and so if she doesn't have context she doesn't matter she's just like a drag queen to people so yeah we just wanted to like 
like do something different. There's a million RuPaul reviews, but none of them are accessible. So we caption it for people who don't know ASL. We talk about signs that, you know, words that come up in the show and we give signs to them. It doesn't mean that they're the official now sign language has this word, but sort of a slang that we get to sort of create and have dialogue with other drag queens. We had a deaf drag queen in Texas reach out and was like, I started because I, you know, saw this and thank you and like, that's badass. So we're just have that. So uh, yeah, we'll be releasing that. It's just the two of us. We record, edit and do everything ourselves. So we have a little bit of a time lapse between each episode release, but yeah. That's, 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 so, that's cool. so cool yeah well that officially brings us to the end of our episode thank you listeners for listening to this abnormally <laughs> long episode because we were just laughing for about 40 minutes right and then thank um, you Anne, for yeah. being with us yeah thank you Anne J. Tifa. <laughs> uh where can they follow um you? on instagram at a-n-n-e-j-t-i-f-a-h you can also follow Fingers Crossed Interpreting on Instagram. And I also make music as Tolly, T-O-L-L-Y, K-I-T-E-B-O-Y, Tolly Kite Boy on Instagram as well. And yeah, and find me on Facebook if you want to. Awesome. Cool. cool. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you. Well, we have our bonus episodes on Monday, and then we have our regular oh, yeah. episodes on Thursday. So tune in every week. And thanks for listening this week. Thank you. Thank you Bye. so much. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of HM of a Secret Podcast. The hosts of HM of a Secret Podcast are Donatella My Secrets and Coco Jim Holiday. You may follow Donatella My Secrets at Donatella underscore My Secrets on Instagram. You may follow Coco Jim Holiday at Coco Jim Holiday on Instagram. Original music by Touche Douche and Party Favors. You can follow them respectively at The Touche Douche and at Party Favors Music on Instagram. For more exclusive content, visit www.ajemofasecretpodcast.com. That is A-J-E-M of a secret podcast.com. Be sure to tune in every week on Thursday for a new episode wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any comments or questions, email us at ajemofasecretpod at gmail.com. Please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe. Until next time, goodbye.